right, we are going to get started, everybody. Thank you for being here. If we haven't met before, my name is Josh. My wife, Megan, and I, we serve in the Lehigh Valley at Muhlenberg and Lafayette. My mighty partner here, Brian, same for him and his wife, Liz, and their five kiddos, serve in the Lehigh Valley. We're glad that you guys are here today. We're going to jump right in. Going off of what Lincoln shared this morning from 1 Peter 2, I'm going to start us off in God's word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Whether you believe it or not, one of the greatest hindrances to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ are lies. All right. We're eager to explore this topic today. Before we get into it, let me pray. Father God, thank you that your word is living and active and true. God, I pray that it would um, illuminate our hearts today as we look to you, as we grow in Christ-likeness for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the turn of the century, a researcher from the University of Massachusetts, he conducted a study that centered on one question. Does being a better liar make you more popular? All right. Two startling conclusions that were found. Number one, most people lie in everyday conversations when they're trying to appear likable and competent. Number two, in this study alone, 60% of people lied at least once during this 10-minute conversation, and they spoke an average of two to three lies. And if that weren't enough, another study published out of Wisconsin back in 2021, last year, sought to answer the question, why do people lie? The top four answers, number one, to avoid other people. Number two, to make a joke. Number three, to protect oneself. And number four, to impress or appear more favorable to others. AKA, most people lie to benefit themselves in some capacity. The theme interwoven through both of these studies is that the liar is the main beneficiary. And now there's a number of reasons why all of you guys might find yourself here today. We're not up here to to call you compulsive liars. That's not our goal, I promise. Perhaps you saw the breakout title. And you were just honest with yourself and you're like, I sense some lying in my life. Or you just know Brian and I and you think we're cool when you want to be here. Whatever it is, I think it's safe to say that we could all benefit from hearing what God's word has to say about lying, how and why it impacts our lives, and how God is honored as we live for truth because he is truth. But if you're anything like me, you frankly consider the idea of lying not that big of a deal, right? It doesn't come off as an egregious sin. You can really do it and nobody knows. Only the big lies are supposedly really bad. And speaking honestly, I didn't even really think that it needed to be a breakout session for Focus this year. But therein lies the very reasoning why Brian and I wanted to venture into a topic like lying this morning. Because lying is important. Lying is a big deal. And even the small lies, they matter to God. But if we don't understand why we need to change, we likely won't change at all. So let's start off by considering what God's word has to say on the subject. Page 44 in your outline. Psalm 34 verses 12 and 13 says, Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. So wrapped up in this verse is a core principle that God has baked into life. If you have a deceitful tongue and speak lies, you will not see many days or good days or both. But the opposite is a promise that's also true, that if you speak truthfully and love others and build others up, 
you will see many days or good days or both. And that's what we're after this morning, discussing both the nature of lying and the nature of truth-telling. And in order to properly understand why lying is bad, right, and how it affects the lives we live, it's necessary that we first consider why God loves truth and how he is the ultimate source of truth. So that's where Brian's going to start us off. Yeah, we saw last night as uh, Kevin was um, leading us through First Peter, and even this morning as Lincoln was teaching, you know, there's this, there's this theme this week where we are to be different kinds of people. In other words, we're to live holy lives, and the motivation, the reason for that is because God is holy, right? We look at God's character, and that should direct our lives. Our character matters because God calls us to live differently. And so we're going to look at why God loves the truth, why he hates lies, why is this such a a significant topic. And, And the first thing we see is that the truth is so magnificent because God is truth. In fact, he's the source of truth. John 14, 6, you'll see on the other page on your outline, maybe you've heard these words before. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, right? God himself, Jesus' son, or God's son, Jesus, is, is claiming to be the truth. God is truth. Psalm 31, verse 5 says this, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. What's interesting about Psalm 31, if you're familiar, maybe you heard this during the Easter season, uh, these are Jesus' very last words. As he's hanging on the cross, Jesus, he, he, he cries out to his father, God, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And and you don't get that last detail, but he's quoting Psalm 31. He's referencing that. And what we see in that Psalm is that who is this God? Who is this this one that Jesus commits his spirit into his hands? The God of truth. In other words, God is trustworthy. God can be trusted. He's faithful. He's dependable. He's truthful. And, And I think if we think about our own lives, don't we tend to trust people who tell us the truth? And don't we tend to be kind of leery of people who lie to us, who deceive us, or who fool us? You know, there's this game I've, I've noticed a few of our campuses here at, at Focus have played in the evenings, Spicy Uno. You heard of this game? You're like, oh, Spicy Uno. Uh, spicy Uno, it's really just Uno, but it's spicy, okay? <laughs> That's all it is. There's a few ad- added rules, and one of the rules is that at any point in the game, if you're in need of help, you don't need to take from the pile, you can request help and say, hey, I need, I need a card. And anybody can offer you one of their cards. They don't show you what it is. The moment you take it from them, the contract has been signed, okay? And it's yours. But it might not help because they don't need to be truthful. Therein lies the spice, okay? (laughs) Let me ask you this, though. If you take a card from a person and it's an unhelpful card, how many times are you going to trust them again? (laughs) Nope, not taking your card. We know that. That's true. When, when somebody deceives us, when they lie to us, they've broken trust. And that's a silly example. It's just a game. But how much does that matter on, in real life? When somebody's not honest with us. And, and honestly, even when the truth hurts, I think you and I would both agree that we'd rather the truth than a lie. That's why I put Proverbs 27, verse 6 there. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Often we, we love kisses. Kisses are usually a good thing but not when they're coming from an enemy. (laughs) Flattery, a facade or something far worse, if it's meant to destroy us, is not something we want to hear. He says, wounds from a friend. Wounds can hurt, but if they're from a friend, they're somebody from somebody who loves you, that's actually far better. It's meant to heal. And so not only is God the source of truth, not only uh, does he love truth, but the Bible actually says he cannot lie. 
Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Have you ever considered this? What if God just lied even a little bit? Like what if God sometimes decided not to tell the truth? Would you even have come to a place like focus this week? Would you be motivated to read the Bible? Would you have the desire to want to obey God? Probably not. Why? Because God, are you, is this true? God, can I trust you? Are you for me? Are you dependable? Well, it says the, that God cannot lie. He doesn't change his mind. The hinge point of reality is the fact that God is truth. In fact, he, he hates lies. That's what we see next, that lying is so horrendous. Why? Because God hates it. That's his character. He hates lies. Proverbs 6, 17, there are six things. The Lord hates seven that are detestable to him. Now, I didn't list them out, but one of those things, if you look at Proverbs 6, he says, is a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. In fact, Proverbs 12, 22 goes on to say the same thing. The Lord detests lying lips. So why does God hate lying so much? Why is it so detestable to him? At least two reasons. One is because it puts up relational barriers. It creates distance. We'll see this in a moment as, as Josh walks us through the, the account of Genesis 2 and 3, but it, but it creates separation from us and God, right? If, 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 if we lie to God, intimacy is broken. If we hide from God, we're no longer with God or close to God. It'd be like this. If you, know, if you were going to, to Burger King and, and a friend heard about it and said, hey, w- when you're at Burger King, can you pick up a Whopper for me? I'll vent you some money. Just make, you know, whatever you do, Bring the Whopper back. Please ask for no pickles and no mayo. I don't care what else you put on it, but please no pickles, no mayo. I hate them. I'm not allergic. Emotionally, I'm allergic, but I'm not truly allergic. I just gag at the thought of them. Please. And you come back, and you're like, whatever. And you come back, you throw in the Whopper. He opens it. He's like, oh, my goodness. This thing's dripping with mayo. There's a mountain of pickles on it. Like, did you even listen to what I told you? Are you even my friend? (laughs) Seriously. Listen, gang, the same thing's true here. God has said he hates lying lips. And so for you and I not to take that seriously, I say, well, that's just a little lie. We need to ask the question, do we actually love the things that God loves? Do we hate the things that God hates? Are we actually serious about what he is serious about? God hates lies. Well, he hates them, not just because it breaks relational intimacy, but, but it actually, there's no place for it in his kingdom. I appreciated what Lincoln said this morning, that as he, he knits us together as a new people, as, as God's holy priesthood, as his, his temple, there's no place for it. Look at Revelation 21. It says the idolaters and liars. This is some of the most sobering language, I think, in all of the Bible. It's, I mean, this is almost hard to hear, but the, the idolaters and liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. In other words, as God builds his kingdom as he invites us in to be his people, he says there's no place for lying. And we actually want to live in a world where there is no lying. How many times have you been hurt by a lie? How many times have you eaten the own consequences of you yourself lying? God's saying, I'm doing a new thing. And so maybe the question that arises in your mind, you go, man, this is what God thinks, this is what God loves. Why, why do we find ourselves where it's so easy to lie? Why is it so tempting to want to hide? Josh is going to help us understand, even from the beginning with Adam and Eve, kind of how we got ourselves into this situation. I'll give it over to you. Great. So we've seen that the truth matters to God because he is the source of truth, and that lying is a serious offense against God because God hates lying. So on a nitty gritty practical level, what does that mean? You see last month, our our church handed out these small Easter story book pamphlets for for children. And of course, Megan and I read through it. 
And on one of the pages leading up to Good Friday, the author, Kevin DeYoung, he wrote, if you skip the sad parts of the story, the happy parts won't seem nearly as happy as they really are. Right? What a key piece to the gospel. And those sad parts is what I have the privilege of speaking of now. And then Brian will, will wrap us up with the good news. And in order to accomplish that, we will look at the beginning of the scriptures, Genesis 2 to 3. And as the left side of your package shows, the scriptures have a whole lot to say about truth and deceit. And in a way, it could be said that the very first lie is actually told in the Garden of Eden. So the context here from Genesis 2, God is speaking to Adam. He says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that's the context. Now consider Genesis 3, 1 to 7 with me. It's on your outline. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but, but God said, you shall not eat of, the, eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was de- to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So there's a lot to unpack here. But what is initially revealed is that the very first sin of mankind took place with a lie. The serpent told Eve in verses four and five, something that God did not say. The the serpent who's Satan, he deceived Adam and Eve and they believed a lie. It's the first ever lie. And immediately after believing this lie, what do Adam and Eve do? They in turn lie. The very first fruit of Satan's deception towards Adam and Eve shows up in their hiding from God, afraid of being exposed. And then in what should be no surprise to you or I, they play the blame game right? When God asks Adam if he's eaten of the tree, which God commanded him not to eat, he says, well, well, no, God, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the truth of the free and I ate. Then when God asks Eve what has happened, she responds by saying, well, well, no, God, the certain deceived me and I ate. Friends, what we have here are two individuals created to live in the truth for the glory of God, who instead choose to lie. And when they're caught, Their boot up is not to take the blame and repent and seek forgiveness, but rather to cast the reasoning for their disobedience onto somebody else. Friends, lying all the way back in the beginning of time was at the heart of man's very first sin. And this is the danger of lying. It happens with deception and with manipulation and really often with charisma. Some of you might be pretty good liars if if you're real with yourself. And as a result, it just produces more and more and more lies. So we understand that lying is destructive, right? But you might be asking, okay, so on a practical level, what does that mean? And we'll answer that question by looking at those three subpoints under point number two, as we consider how lying destroys our relationship with God, our relationships with others, and then our very own lives. So first and most importantly, lying affects our relationship with God. As Brian mentioned earlier in quoting Numbers 23, 
God is truth. God is not like man who lies and changes his mind. God is certain in who he is and God is certain in what he does. So when we lie, it is a direct abomination in the sight of God. Because we as humans, we were made, to, we were made by God and in the image of God. Therefore, our lying nature is starkly misrepresentative of who God is. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So you and I both know that our hearts can and will often deceive us, right? What what might feel good or what might seem good actually might not be good in, in in the eyes of God. In his all knowing providence, God knows the heart of man way better than any of us do. On your outline, 1 Samuel 16, it says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So there's a lot of heart language going on here. This is a heart issue. And we know in our heart of hearts that lying pushes us away from God. And that's foolishness. The Lord knows our hearts perfectly, yet we still try to lie and hide from him. So ask yourself this. Has the Lord ever felt distant or does he feel distant now? Does he feel far away? Friends, could it be that you feel this way because you're functionally lying or hiding something from God? That you're almost trying to deceive God by hiding something from him? And of course, that's not always the case, but could it be? Lying often goes unnoticed. Friends, God is unable to be deceived. He's not surprised. Even when our intentions look good on the outside from a worldly perspective, if our hearts are far from the Lord, he is well aware. And this isn't meant to sound scary nor cynical, but I think it actually gives us hope. Brian will speak to this in the next point because we don't need to cover up something for the sake of ourselves. God has already done that through Jesus Christ. So point number one, lying most clearly affects our relationship with God. Number two, it also affects our relationships with other people. I won't ask you guys to raise your hand, but I would be willing to to bet that each of you here this morning has been affected by a lie in your lifetime, perhaps even by a family member or a close friend. And despite your level of maturity in the faith or any close relationship you might have, none of us are immune to lying. So three ways that our lying affects relationships with others, they're on your outline. Number one, lying erodes trust. Lying erodes trust. This is likely the most basic effect of lying. It happens on a small scale. It happens on a large scale. You know, you tell your mom that you did the dishes when your little brother actually did them. That's a lie. Your staff or your student leader, you know, they text you, hey, can you come to Bible study? No, I'm off doing this with a friend when actually you're sitting at home playing video games. That's a lie, right? When someone asks you to hang out and you say, oh, I'm out of town, I can't, but really you just don't want them to come hang out with you. That's a lie. It can happen on a small scale, day by day. It can also happen on a big scale, right? If you tell your wife you're going to golf with your buddies, but you're actually going out to see another woman, that's a lie. Lying happens on small and large scales. You guys get the point. Lying erodes trust. Number two, lying shows disrespect. You see, in our culture, respect is given on the basis of achievement, but that's not the type of respect that we're talking about here. The respect that I speak of is the respect of seeing another person as created in the image of God. We oftentimes say that, but do we really understand what that means? The person that you get along with the best, 
and the person that you could be no more different from. Not one person sitting in this room nor stepping foot on the face of the earth has the entitlement to deceive another for their own gain. In a biblical and in a godly way, this is disrespectful. And even while a truth might put a relationship at risk, it is no match for the deceptive nature of covering that truth with a lie. Lying shows disrespect to a person made in the image of God. And number three, lying begets lies. Or if you're anything like me and didn't know what the word beget meant until your senior year of college, lying brings about more lies. As we've already seen in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's immediate response to their shameful lie was simply to cover it up with more lies. One writer said, when lying becomes commonplace, no relationship can survive intact. You see, friends, when we cover up ourselves at the cost of someone else by lying, it only allows us to feel more comfortable with doing it again. Deceit builds upon itself. So lying erodes trust, it shows disrespect, and it begets even more lies. Those are just three ways. I'm sure there's many more about how lying affects our relationships with other people. (coughs) And then lastly, lying affects our very own lives. I mean, friends, in your own life, just think about the trouble that lying has gotten you into, whether you've lied or you've been lied to. Personal story for me, when I was in college, I was in a religion course, and there was a measly, small, little 15-point assignment. And our professor said, okay, whatever religion that you identify with, you have to go to another religion and attend their service. Write a 200-page paper, easy. 15 points, something small. I didn't do it. I didn't want to do it. Nobody else in the class was doing it. You could easily search something on Google and make it up. And when I told this to a trusted counselor, actually my disciple maker staff on campus, he loved me enough and cared for me enough to actually tell me that I was in sin because I was cheating, which is most clearly a form of a lie and that I needed to be truthful. And so I actually went later that week and told my professor that I cheated and that I lied. And you know what his response was? What do you want me to do? That's what he said. And so I actually had the opportunity to share with him why I was confessing this to him, why I was confessing this sin. I had a chance to open up about my faith and share the gospel with this atheist professor. And this line came at a cost. I got a zero on the assignment, but if I wouldn't have confessed my sin, it would have been weighing on my soul as I would have been living in deceitfulness. So even though confessing came at a cost, the cost of not confessing would have been much, much worse in the eyes of the living God. Lying is Satan's deceptive tool that causes us to think that we're going to be better off by doing one thing when our conscience and likely the Holy Spirit is clearly telling us otherwise. And another key effect that lying has in our own lives is that it produces isolation. You see, when we lie, we dishonor God, we lose the trust of other people, and then in turn, we hide ourselves, we isolate ourselves. When people recognize our proclivity to to tell a pretty good lie to get our own way, they're not going to want to spend time with us. Lying hinders other people from getting to know the real you. It denies any potential for genuine friendship and community with other people and friends, namely with your brothers and sisters in Christ. God made us to be communal creatures, to spend time with one another, to have people who surround us and care for us and know our strengths and weaknesses and bear our burdens and laugh with us and cry with us. All of these things can only happen authentically when we operate our lives in truth. So this is the deception in our lying. We functionally believe that we benefit from a lie, 
when we're ultimately distancing ourselves from God and other people. We functionally believe we benefit from a lie when we're ultimately distancing ourselves from God and other people. It's like the opposite of the proverb that says, there's wisdom in an abundance of counselors. The man or woman who lies has the mindset that, nah, there's actually wisdom in what I think and not in what older and other and wiser people might think of me. So as you can tell, these three aspects, our relationship with God, with other people, and with ourselves, they're intertwined and they show the destructive nature of our lying. And friends, left to our own, we'd be hopeless. We'd be hopeless. What we've just seen, as that children's Easter book said, it's the sad news about our sin. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve God's punishment, but it's not the end of the story, right? We have, we have hope. There's hope and there's freedom for those who have fallen and have actually often neglected to recognize the lies that we live in. And that's how Brian is going to end this up. Thanks, Josh. Um, yeah, we don't want to end on that note uh, because there is hope. And, and Christ died that we might be free, that we might come into the light and be made new and be forgiven people. Even for those of us who struggle with maybe big lies, with little lies, maybe even for those of us who, who um, are dealing with shame for not having come in to the light sooner, maybe in different areas of our life. We're going to see this tonight as Jordan leads us through First Peter, but First Peter chapter 2, verse 22, part of our hope comes from looking at Jesus, remembering who he is. Even his example it says this, Jesus committed no sin <clears throat> and no deceit, no lying was found in his mouth. In other words, even when it would have been convenient for Jesus to maybe stretch the truth a bit, to maybe kind of hedge his bets a bit, he didn't do that. And in fact, the verse goes on. This is talking about his, his last days, when he was being crucified, when he was, he was being falsely accused by us, when lies were being told about him. Man, it would have been easy to lie. But yet, what does he do? It says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that goes back even to Psalm 31, that he trusted his father. He said, God, this is not right. This, this, this is not fair. And yet I love these people. I'm going to take their insults. I'm going to take their mocking. I'm going to take their being. I'm going to die for their sins. Why? So that they might be a forgiven people, that they might have life, that they might come into your kingdom. And that's our hope, friends. It's not to just try to, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. Maybe I'll, I'll get it better when it comes to lying, but to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you. Thanks that you took that sin on my behalf. I don't deserve it, but I praise you that you love me that much to take it on yourself. And, and friends, as we remember that, we actually start to be less fearful of coming into the light. Why? Because oftentimes we hide so much because of some consequence we're fearful of. God, if I, if I tell this person, if I own that thing I did, if this person ever found out, then, then what would that mean for my life? And I'm not gonna say that if you're truthful, maybe you did something wrong and you say, this is what I did. There might be a consequence. You got a zero on your, your paper. But man, the, the alternative, the other option to, to not confess this sin, to say, I'm gonna live a, a life of deceit is far greater. Right? Our own soul is on the line. Jesus says, I invite you into the light. I've died for that sin. I already know about that. And I've covered over it by my grace. And so we, we look to Jesus. He, he already knows the truth and he loves us still, which is practically why I put 1 John 1, 8. You know, Kevin, last night, I love how he gave us some practicals uh, about what, what to live as Christians, what, you know, to invest in the things that matter. And he says, practically, get God's word into your life. Memorize parts of the Bible this summer. You know, it's great to look at the verse of the day. If that's where you are, 
please just start there. But if you're like, man, I have more time than that, you know, read books of the Bible, commit some scripture to memory. This would be one of those verses to commit to memory. First John chapter one, verse eight says this, if, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we say, God, I, I actually don't have that big of a problem. I'm not actually that big of a sinner. He says, you're just deceiving yourself. I'm deceiving myself if I claim that. And if we claim to have no sin, he goes on verse 10 to say, we make God actually out to be a liar. So if we claim God, I, I, didn't, I didn't mess up. There's no sin in my life. I don't struggle with that. We're saying, God, you're a liar, which we clearly saw he's not. Numbers chapter 23 taught us that. And so, so if we find ourselves maybe struggling with deceit, if we, if we find ourselves wanting to kind of stretch the truth a little bit, how do we get out of that? Verse nine, write this with a Sharpie on your arm, put it on your mirror, put it on a sticky note, whatever it takes, memorize this verse. It'll only bless you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Praise God. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, what is the way out of, of the hamster wheel of deceit? It's to be honest. It's to confess. The word confess literally means to speak the same as God. So the very thing God already knows about us, to say, God, yes, that's true about me, but that's not the end of the story. God, I give that to you. God, forgive that sin. Give me your spirit. Give me your new life. Give me the wisdom. Give me the strength. Give me the motivation and this, the power to want to obey you, to want to lift you. Make me new. Take that junk that I did and, 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 and get it away from me. Put it onto Jesus. Praise God. Make me your child. Grow me in your ways. And if you've never confessed your sin to God, I invite you to do that today. He welcomes that. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just, if you were to confess your sin and God were not to forgive you, God would be unjust. That's what this verse says. God is just. He's trustworthy. We can take him at his word. There's a, a book that I read as, as Josh and I were putting this together. There's not a lot of resources online. It's very interesting. Amazon, you type any word in, boom, thousand books on it. Lying, not so much. Maybe that's evidence that we need to hear this even more. But I did find one called Lying. as a fish hook, I don't know. Uh, Sam Harris, if you've never heard of this guy, uh, Sam Harris, I didn't know who he was. He's a, he's, he's a well-renowned atheist. In fact, I Googled him. He's known as one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. So he, he's quite, quite well-known, at least in that community. And this is what he has to say about lying and about telling the truth. He writes, honesty is a gift we can give to others. It's also a source of power and an engine of simplicity, knowing that we will attempt to tell the truth Whatever the circumstances leaves us with little to prepare for. And knowing that we told the truth in the past leaves us with nothing to keep track of. We can simply be ourselves in every moment. Now you might be wondering, why did Brian just quote an atheist? Isn't that like illegal at a Christian conference? Don't tell anybody. No, you can't. This is recorded. <laughs> I think Sam Harris actually gets a lot right. I think he's onto something here, that there is a beauty that comes as we tell the truth. There's, there's a freedom that comes as we go, I don't need to keep track of all these narratives. I've told this person that. I've kept this from this person. What did I tell that? I don't know. The story changed here. And oh, that's tiring. That's exhausting. It's to tell the truth, there's freedom in that. And I think he's onto that. I think that's, he really gets that right. I think where he misses the mark and I think he misses big here, is that because he's an atheist, because he said, yeah, there's no need for God, there's no place for Jesus in the world or in my life, 
is that until we see that there's a merciful God who knows us completely and sees our junk and our sin and welcomes us nonetheless, we will never come into the light because it's too scary. There's too much at stake. We'll always, at least in some way, try to save face or, or maintain our reputation or, or minimize consequences because truth be told, our true selves, as he says, we can simply be our true selves in every moment. Our true selves apart from Christ is that we are sinners, is that we're not the, the kind of people that God has created us to be. And yet, as we come to Jesus, as we say, Jesus, I don't want to just be me. I want to be the person you've intended me to be. I want to be a new creation. I want to be made like you. Until we realize that, we won't come into the light, which I think is what Harris misses, even in a lot of the things that he gets right, which is why as we end here, we'll, we'll look at a case study in a moment. But as we look to Jesus, as we see the, the, the hope that he offers and the invitation through his, his power and his forgiveness, Colossians 3 verse 9 says this, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator that we have this call as Christians or this hope that if you're not a Christian, you can one day be, um, that we can start to be the kind of people that God has always intended us to be. Three practical ways we can do that if you want to fill them in. One is this, to do it quickly. What I mean by that is when you find yourself wanting to hide or lie is to confess it quickly, to say, I'm not going to just create this web of lies, but to say, God, I did it. I shouldn't have. I own it. Please forgive me. And he does. Right? It's so merciful that God, in what Josh read for us in the Garden of Eden, he came to Adam and Eve. He took the initiative with them. That enables us to actually come to God, to respond to his grace. Friends, quick confession saves us from a mountain of lies. So do it quickly. Don't wait. There's no benefit in that. Truth tool number two is this. Call out the lie, lest you be deceived. Right? If Adam and Eve, presumably, hypothetically, would have said to Satan, uh, that's not true, God said, the moment you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And Satan, you said, you shall not surely die. That's a lie. Satan, we're not listening to you anymore. In fact, Adam, go find a big log and just smash that serpent's head right now. Maybe they would have avoided this whole mess. We don't know. We could, we could speculate. But, but we're called to, to spot the lie. Why? So we're not deceived by it. So we don't spread the lie. How do you do that practically, friends, when, when you're watching a, you know, your favorite show on Netflix, when, when, when you're in a class and the professor's talking, when you're with a group of friends? It, it, it's not to get on your soapbox and be preachy or to be a jerk, but just to say, wait a minute, that's not true. That's a falsehood. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe that. Or maybe graciously to say, hey, that thing that you said, that wasn't actually true about that person. I think you need to actually go ask for their forgiveness. We do this with our kids all the time. Maybe some of the parents in the room can relate. You know, one of our kids will say so-and-so about their sibling, and I'm going, wait a minute, buddy, that's, that didn't actually happen. That's not who they are. That didn't, that's not true of them. You need to go talk to them. You need to reconcile with them, and let's try it again the right way. And I need to do that with my own life. It's an opportunity to, to tell the truth lest we be deceived. And then the last thing is this, that when we're fearful, because sometimes it is hard to tell the truth, man, I, I don't want to go to that person. When we're fearful to speak the truth, remember love. Remember the principle of love. Sometimes we, 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 we buy into what's called the fool's choice, right? Man, the, I can't tell this person what's true because they'll, they'll hate me. It'll ruin the friendship. It'll get awkward. It won't matter anyway, right? What difference will it make? I'll say something and they won't even listen. 
and we go down this fool's choice where we, it, it stops us from saying anything. And yet we already saw Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, if this person is a true friend, if this person actually loves us and we love them, we can say, hey, this might be something hard for me to say, but, but you need to hear it because I love you. And as we do that, it probably won't ruin the friendship. In fact, it might actually deepen the friendship because it's something they need to hear and because they know that you love them as you speak it. And it goes the other way too, that maybe there's something you're fearful to bring up. You're like, man, I don't want to own this. I don't want to <laughs> confess to this, but I need to tell this person this. Is, is there, think, wait a minute, this person loves me. And so as I tell them, I don't need to be fearful. It might get awkward, and that's okay. God's with me. His spirit's inside of me. I can tell this person, and, and they love me. And you know what? At the end of the day, worst case scenario, you tell them, you love them, they love you, and something you say, you're like, it led to some consequence. You have the promise of God that he will never leave you or forsake you, even if the friendship was lost, which it probably won't be. Sometimes we hype it up in this worst case scenario, that even if the worst case thing happened, that the God of the universe says, you are my child, and I'm for you, and I love you, and I've actually called you to be a person who speaks truth because I'm a God of truth. And I delight as you speak the truth. That we have that promise, we have that hope. And so friends, that, that is our hope. We can speak more about it. Maybe we'll, we'll tease out some of the nuances of this. Josh is gonna come up and, and read a, a case study for us. So what does this look like practically? If you find yourself in a situation where you go, wait a minute, I could lie. I'm tempted to lie. I could tell the truth, but there's gonna be a cost even to that. Um, what does that look like practically to tell the truth? And so as you, as you hand out these uh, little case studies, I'll give you a moment, and then Josh is going to read us, and then we're going to work through it for a few minutes. So, Great. Great. All right, let's read this case study. Katie landed a job at a large retail store for the summer. It wasn't her first choice for a summer job, but it pays pretty well, and it's easy work. She stocks store merchandise, handles the occasional phone call, and helps customers on the floor. It's also her responsibility to be alert to and report shoplifters who might steal or damage merchandise. Sometimes Katie's two best friends visit the store to shop or say hi when they're bored. She's always glad to see them, especially on long summer days. However, during one of these visits, her friends were goofing around, uh-oh, and broke one of the displays, oh no, valued at a few hundred dollars. Katie knows that no security camera picks up the spot in the store, and she's pretty sure no employee or customer saw it happen. And even as it was happening, she got nervous and pretended to look the other way so her friends don't even know that she knows. All right, so maybe this never happened to you. Maybe you can, you can relate. I don't know. But maybe you're working a retail job this summer. But um, as, you, as you think about Katie, where would be some places where she might be inclined to lie? I, mean, I think we have some mic runners running around. So maybe just raise your hand. Um, where would it be easy for her to lie? What would be the cost of her lying? What might happen if she lies? Yeah. Um, yeah, if you can speak to them like that. She might lose her friends. Yeah. Our friends might be angry. Yeah, if she tells the truth. Okay, so if she tells the truth, her friends might get angry at her. Yeah. Yeah, she might lose her friends, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there's a cost even to telling the truth. What, what might be some, and we'll get there in a moment, what might be some cost if, if she doesn't tell the truth? Yeah. Um, by lying, she can lose her job if the owner did find out. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's um, right. She might have to pay for what her friends did wrong mm-hmm. to come out of her paycheck. <laughs> yeah, that would not be fun, right? I think there's a hand over here, maybe. Yeah. What? What if? What if she lies? Maybe to kind of save her friends. I don't want to like you know make my friends awkward. And all of a sudden, the boss is like, uh, "Somehow this thing got broken. No, you know, security camera didn't pick it up, but somebody's got to pay." Like, you ever, you ever been living on a dorm hall and like somebody breaks the window or does something to the bathroom, and the RA's like, "All right, someone did it." And until you confess, like everybody's in trouble. <laughs> and you're like, "Come on, like tell, just own up." Right? Could affect other employees even. Yeah. Um. Yeah, if, if and if that happens, another consequence is she's going to be put into another situation where she's going to have to choose. Mm-hmm. And if she's already getting nervous and pretending to look the other way, I kind of think she's going to go down the route that says, mm-hmm. I'm going to lie again. Yeah. yeah. Right. Lying <laughs> is easier to lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also potentially, we don't know the future, but um, by covering for her friends or pretending it didn't happen they also have no consequences for their their foolishness you know they weren't being careful and it just leads all of them to not care as much about that sort of thing that's right that's right even what josh mentioned earlier right that with his professor there's a sense when we know we should do we don't it, it weighs on our soul there's a Psalm, Psalm 32, where when we fail to confess wrongdoing to God, it's like our very bones mm-hmm. just waste away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to transition just a little, because I think you went there earlier, Myra. What, what would be some of the cost of telling the truth? Because there might be some real cost if she says, this is what happened. What might be some of the, the cost or some of the, the weightiness of that? Yeah, Allie. Her friends are going to be really angry at her. That could be, yeah. What the heck? You ratted us out. <laughs> and even the double whammy with what Myra said, her friends could be very angry and she loses friends. She could also lose her job. Yeah. No, that's right. Uh, she would probably be in a position where she'd have to pay for their mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Would there be any opportunity? Oh, do you have a thought? Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Yeah, go for it. Um, I think it's um, important to, like, the last, the very end, it says that her friends don't even know that she knows. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's also kind of like a test for her friends being, like, are they trustworthy to own up for their mistake or not? Yeah. So it's, like, it could ruin the friendship, too. And she could be, like, wow, these these mm. girls don't even want to like own up to what they did wrong, and they're going to make me take over the consequences of what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can oh, mess yeah. up the friendship. That's right. Oh yeah. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, and if Katie's like a Christian, like, mm. and she tells the truth, like that would be like an opportunity to witness to her friend, like, mm. like if she told him, like, "Hey, I didn't see this, but like this happened," or well, she she did see it, but like that would be an opportunity. For her friends to realize, like, oh, there's something different about Katie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she could have just, like, let us off the hook, but she didn't, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having an opportunity doesn't necessarily mean there won't be a cost. It could be an opportunity with costs, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, because I was thinking, if she does tell the truth and has to pay the cost, then she's going to have a treasure 
of understanding the gospel in a more oh, yeah. real way That's than right. she had before. Like yeah. there will be a huge blessing in understanding Christ and his love by walking that out herself. That's yeah. right. That's, that's really helpful with the few moments we have left. I think one of the unique uh, challenges about this topic of lying is that every situation is almost nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. So if you guys have any more questions, we'd love to, we'd love to field those afterwards. Mm-hmm. But for now, I'd, I'd love to hear, I think going and seeking counsel, even in these situations is really important. So if we assume that Katie is a Christian and she comes to you, you're the wise friend, you're the wise counselor, what might be some of your counsel or some of your wisdom that you would give to Katie in this situation? I think um, she should say it right then and there to the manager that she made a mistake because if she tries to cover it up more, it's just going to keep adding on. Mm. And then also, like, I mean, because I worked in retail, the sooner you get this resolved, the better they could, like, actually resolve this issue yeah. if she just keeps adding it on yeah. they're just going to keep asking her so yeah that's right. you have some personal experience there victoria it's helpful yeah. Yeah. yeah so actually confess to her boss right away what she saw okay yeah especially given in that last sentence her nervousness and looking the other way mm. i think just even drawing her out and saying like well wh- what did you think would happen like do you think just because it's not seen doesn't mean it didn't happen Mm. and just help her to understand God does see all. Mm, That's right. And there's no way, even if you pretend like, you know, you know that happened. Right. But God definitely knows. Right. right. That's great, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say tell the truth because as it's, um, as it says in um, the passage, she got nervous and pretended to look away. So, Mm that nervousness is the cause of what her friends did and it could probably weigh on her mind throughout mm-hmm. the week of her doing her job. That's right. Yeah. So that's helpful. Right. Yeah, like one of the things like that I've had a friend from, um, or someone who discipled me who like left, uh, he helped me like draw me out when I uh, told a lie to a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just like asking like, why did I do it? He was like simply just asking like why mm-hmm. and like sort of, and he helped me expose my fears associated with that. But then he also pointed me to, um, like, ultimate forgiveness mm-hmm. in our Lord Jesus. You know, And that was just very helpful. And it was hard talking to the friend that I lied to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, and our friendship isn't as it was before. And that was the cost of it. But it was really rich um, being able to uh, walk in that. So I think with, with Katie, I would just simply just ask why. What are the fears you're having around that? And and, and point her um, to what Jesus has accomplished mm-hmm. on her behalf. Yeah. That's really helpful, Stephen. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, her greatest fear has already been dealt with mm. in the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that would really crush her, Jesus has already taken it from her. Not to say there might not be some real challenges. Friendship might change, whatever. But like even in that, it gives her the, the, the strength and the power to, to maybe do the hard thing. Yeah, appreciate you saying that. Great. So... That's going to be the end of our session. Let me pray. And if you have any more questions, feel free to stick around. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you and thank you for the ministry of reconciliation uh, and bestowing your righteousness upon us through Jesus Christ, even when we have been wicked and wretched sinners and liars throughout our lives, Lord. Praise be to God through Jesus for saving us from the deceitfulness of sin and from lying. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, God. We pray by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.